0: Did you have you ever woke up feeling like extra queer? Like I woke up today and I just felt extra gay today. I don't know what it was. I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna be my gayest self. I don't.
1: Honestly, please, you can't. You cannot go anymore. What if do you literally mean? Literally, you will die of an overdose of a gayness. You if know you what? Go though, on the way yet. here,
0: I was like lip syncing for my life in the car with my hair like. I just, I don't know how this is different than every single day of your life. No, because usually I'm really fucking tired. But today, I don't know why. I had like this burst of energy this morning, and I was like, today is the day (laughs) I am going to be my gay ass self. And here I am.
1: None of this sounds different. I don't know what you're trying to... I am
0: like on gay high right now.
1: Wow, I'm so happy. I dragged myself out of bed at 6 a.m. on a Saturday so that I could finish my script. And I then just
0: am surprised it wasn't done considering you are actually doing anything. My best friend and my wife
1: proceeded to gang up on me when 10 o'clock rolled around and I wasn't quite done. And it was really really harmful. You were triggered. I was triggered. I was like well excuse
0: you all. And of course because you were triggered I started laughing because I can't take like anger to me is hilarious and I I still I like need to go to a therapist and be like can you make me angry because I can't one I can't get mad and two when somebody gets mad at me I laugh at them and that just makes the situation it's, it's worse. It's true
1: it's true you should never work with victims um, I wouldn't
0: that's why I was like I always wanted to be like a therapist because I went through my own shit but I could yeah. not do it
1: that's true you do you can relate and understand people's you can relate and understand people's pain well but you you do i laugh. can't
0: feel the emotion of like the anger behind no. it i can only like i can be empathetic towards their feelings but uh-huh. i can't under like i don't know i don't know why i can't be angry
1: rage is my second oh. language
0: actually what i was angry this week
1: why so Some lady named Karen no, cut you off in a supermarket or no, something. fuck Karen. But anyways,
0: <laughs> we were sitting on the couch, David and I, and we had just, like, we had a busy day. I think I, like, edited the podcast that day. David David was preparing his shit for his show or something like that. And we it was, like, one of those days where we both had shit going on, as Evan makes as much noise as he can in the background. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped and, my um, lid to my
1: water. Go ahead, please, David.
0: And then, yes. And um, I'm just laying there, and I get a phone call, and it's an Indiana phone number. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I've been getting a lot of these bot phone calls yeah. where it's like, this is such and such for health insurance, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So I answered it and I was like, hello? And the other side, it goes, hello, is this Paul Hobbs? I'm like, yeah, who is this? And he goes, this is Paul Hobbs. My fucking dad called me.
1: No. Wait. I'm, I'm sorry. Why am I learning about this on our fucking I, podcast, no, I saved Paul? it.
0: I saved it for this moment. I wanted this live reaction. This is what I wanted.
1: You are such a bitch.
0: What I the fuck? I saved it for this moment. So he had just gotten out of prison. No. And... First of all, I was upset that somebody gave him my phone number. Yeah. Second of all, he calls Mm. me and he's like, hey, buddy, what's going on? And this was like, if you're on our Patreon, by the way, we just dropped an exclusive like worst first dates and best first dates. Yeah. This was worst phone call. (laughs) I'm (laughs) sure. I was so uncomfortable and the whole thing was awkward. And I'm just like, uh. Hi. <laughs>
1: why is he calling you? That's, Who the fuck does he think he is? I don't know. The but, audacity. But he the calls sheer me,
0: balls. He calls me... Uh, by the way, promo code ballsy, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but he calls me and, um, I don't, I can't even remember like most of the conversation because my, it was just like one of those experiences where I felt like I was in another world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure. And he's like, basically I was an asshole to him the whole time. Cause he's like, Hey Good. man, he was like, uh, I know like I'm, you know, you missed my life and stuff. Cause I've been locked up and I was like, no, I didn't miss your life. You missed my life. Like, first of
1: all, he's been out of prison several times and I I can't believe that every single fucking time he comes back with the same bullshit of, uh, um, sorry I missed out on so much of your life and I want to have a relationship with you. Oh my God, are you still
0: gay? Yeah. And then he, then he's like, um, what did he say? Fucking, uh, yeah, I know I haven't really been there lately. And I was like, well, first of all, you haven't been here for 27 years, so I don't know what the fuck you think lately. (laughs) Lately. And he's like, yeah, I deserve that. And he's like holding back tears the whole time. Fuck You can hear him in the back. (laughs) Why? Doing why, that? Why? Why? And then he was like, you know, I just do all these things and I think I'm doing the right thing. But they always turn out to be the wrong thing. And I was like, you know, you're doing the wrong thing when you do them. And if you don't, that's a bullshit fucking answer. And you know it. <laughs> and then um, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry. I haven't been there for your life. And I was like, it's probably a better. It's probably for the best that you weren't in my life. So the whole time I'm just <laughs> shitting on him. yeah. And that was the first time I think that I felt anger and I never really knew that I was I don't think that I was angry that he wasn't there I think I was angry that he was bullshitting and trying to make these excuses and he kept saying God this and God that and Mm -hmm. I was like there's not some fucking God or some fucking spirit making your decisions you're a grown-ass man and you need to fucking own up to it because your decisions are your own and yeah yeah he hasn't called me since (laughs) surprisingly That's
1: good. First of all, he shouldn't fucking talk to you because he's been horrible to you. And every time that you've extended an olive branch to him, he's shoved it in your face.
0: Oh, and then he goes, do you think next time you're out here for Thanksgiving or something, I could, we could see each other. And I was like, how about you try staying out of prison for three months first before you start (laughs) shooting for long goals? I think we have a lot of work to do before we get to that point. I was on fire. Also. (laughs) Also. (laughs) Also.
1: You probably do have anger. It's probably <laughs> just really suppressed. I think it might be. <laughs> it might just be like that's a thing though about anger. See, like I'm just angry at everything. But then some people that never have anger. This because there's that one thing, and then when that one thing, see, your dad has been in prisons for so much that you haven't realized your anger. And now that he is out, if he manages to stay out, which he probably won't, um, it's just gonna keep bubbling
0: over. It might. Because it's like, have you ever watched Anger Management? Mm-hmm. That guy, he's just so nice the whole time. And he's like, yeah. I, I don't have anger problems. I don't have. I feel like that's me.
1: Yeah, I think that's you. I don't have anger problems. Yeah. So go to therapy. <laughs> and also, Paul Hobbs Senior, go fuck yourself, and do not contact Paul Hobbs. Jr. He's actually
0: the Paul Hobbs Junior. I'm Paul Hobbs the third. Okay. Well, whatever. But either way, yeah. Paul Hobbs the
1: second, Paul Hobbs the criminal that. I mean, it's not even the criminal part because people go to prison and, you know, I don't think someone should be judged solely on that. I know it sounds weird, but it's just we no, know I why agree. people people go to prison because a lot of, of stupid things, a, of lot, a of lot of, of th- stupid things because of a lot of racism, because mm. of a lot of bullshit. It's not that it's the fact that he's been awful to you and he's abandoned you and every time he comes back and this is just and
0: uh, oh and then he tried to tell me he had never done drugs and i was like um that's a fucking lie never done drugs i was like he was like i like to drink but i I don't i never did those drugs i'm like so you went to prison for making (laughs) meth but you've never (laughs) done meth so you just had this brilliant idea you know i never i don't know anything about meth but let me try making it okay dad okay (laughs) jesus christ okay yeah okay yeah okay that's how that that's how that progression happened this yeah
1: no, I mean he's so full of shit. He's always been full so full of shit.
0: And he says it like he like believes it. Yeah. Like he actually believes what he's saying.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. See, yeah. See, that's why I saved this for the podcast, because I knew you. it was gonna be a fiery opener. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to Therapy with Paul and Evan.
0: <laughs> uh, we're seven minutes in. This is the Your Queer <laughs> Story podcast. The that's podcast right. that inspires peace, love and radicalism. I'm Paul Hobbs.
1: And I'm Evan Jones. And um, if you can't cut off your abusive parents, at least set some strong boundaries with them and keep them. Um, But we have to move on (laughs) because our episode is going to be longer. I told Paul, I was like, it's probably going to be a 30 minute episode and it probably isn't. So buckle up. But we need this. We need you. Um, Before we get in, make sure that you are checking out our Patreon. We've got some great content on there for you guys. Yep.
0: We dropped our first Behind the Queens, which gives you a deeper look, as I've mentioned, into day. David and I's, Evan and I's lives. um, this week we are dropping an episode on our worst first dates and our best first dates. Yep. Get to hear a lot of, uh, fun things there.
1: Yes. You were my first, my best first date. Oh my, my, my wife just called in. She's like, was I your best first date? Yes, you were. I love you. <laughs>
0: Anyways, um, (laughs) yes, but
1: it's our first date episode. There's another episode for Coffee with Evan. I'm sorry, I said that last episode there was another episode up, but it's up there now. You can look at it. There's also our our, um, wet lube tasting has been on there, but that's public for everyone. Mm -hmm. But Patreons only. You're the only ones who get to uh, listen to Behind the Queens, and you're only the ones who get to watch the Coffee with Evan. And And you only
0: have to subscribe for $3 or more a month, and that money, as we always say, goes back directly into the podcast or the Queer Mentorship Program.
1: Exactly. So we don't pocket the money. You're helping other episodes. LGBTQ people 110% whenever you donate to our Patreon and you get exclusive content for following us. So check it out. Patreon only. Subs- and if you can't, li- you know, if you can't donate to Patreon, also subscribe or and um, leave a review for us. That also helps us out. Yep. That-
0: so if you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podchaser, iTunes, uh, tune in wherever you're listening. Any review and subscription really helps us. It shows those platforms that you like our podcast. And the more people that they see like our podcast, the more they'll promote it to other people.
1: Exactly. So, gets the news out there. We were on somebody's list for best LGBTQ yeah, podcast. 2019.
0: And they never reached out. I wish they would have because I would have thanked them.
1: Yeah. So, thank you for putting us on your list of best LGBTQ podcasts. I tried to podcasts. email them
0: too to say thanks, but it like bounced back. Yeah, I, I saw that. Emailed, and I was like, oh. well.
1: Well. We appreciate it.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, follow us on social media. Yes. We post a lot of fun stuff. Uh, Each platform is different. Facebook is more businessy. Twitter is more political. And Instagram is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, Instagram is mostly just like... The, the podcast stuff but mm-hmm. occasionally put we put other things on there but yeah but follow us and you can message us that's a big thing so i do a lot of i'd say most of our messaging is through facebook or instagram mm-hmm. so message us we're always happy to talk always help happy to get you in touch with a mentor if you need one and there's a lot of good ways to reach out and then one more small announcement before we begin if you are going to be out on the east coast or you live in the east coast Particularly in or around New York this weekend or next, then check out the play Bent, which is premiering at the Triskelion, T R I S K E L I O N, Triskelion Arts Theater on Callier Street in Brooklyn. It's a fantastic way to spend Valentine's Day. Bent is a deliciously sexy and viscerally brutal, heartbreaking and empowering, all at the same time, a gripping tale of love, courage, and identity. The cast is mostly queer-identifying and is women-centric. Shows begin Thursday, February 6th and run for the next two weekends, so it ends on the 15th, I believe. Tickets are very reasonably priced.
0: Um, We're talking like $16. Exactly.
1: So very reasonably priced and $2 of each ticket is donated to the Alley Forney Center. I, think, I hope I said that right. Ali Forney, Forney Center. Um, and that's an organization that provides resources and housing for LGBTQ youth. So, and the best part is we will have a promo code that they're sending us to post on our social media. So if you follow our social media, you can get that promo code. Mm-hmm. So you even save a little bit more But when you get the tickets. Um, so this is just a really great way to have a fantastically queer Valentine's Day. Always here to give you options. Sounds a
0: lot of fun. Yeah. So this coming Friday, Friday... Don't know where that came from. Friday. This coming Friday on February 7th, we will recognize the 21st annual National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. As the name suggests, this day was created to focus on the specific epidemic of HIV and AIDS in black communities. And like everything that racism and bigotry touches, the AIDS crisis has been no different. We are not going to go into the full history behind AIDS as we will discuss that in June when we finally cover the AIDS epidemic.
1: It's coming. I I really promise this time.
0: We've waited because we want to make sure that we wanted to make sure that we were at the level of research and quality and production that we could really deliver something powerful. So yeah, that's yeah. why we've held back.
1: We want to do justice to the AIDS epidemic and what our community has gone through and faced and so now we're in a much better place where we can provide that for you
0: Mm -hmm. however in this episode we will discuss the many biases and overt as well as subtle racism that prevented early treatment in black and brown communities we will also give a fairly thorough explanation of hiv and aids and address some of the stigma around the virus
1: and just before we continue on, I just want to point out again, we realize we're two white guys and we're not the best people to talk about this. Not that we're not, but we're not there. You should be listening to Black Voices about this. So we will provide a lot of resources for black and brown communities that you can check out. Also, make sure you're following people of color on Twitter and social media. Make sure you're reading their materials. Um And doing everything you can to hear from black and brown communities, but we also didn't want to just ignore the state either. So early in the AIDS epidemic, studies showed the need for treatment and education in black communities. Yet the government wouldn't even publicly acknowledge AIDS until the mid-1980s, let alone offer help and funding to poor black communities. So African Americans shouldered the burden themselves. The first AIDS organization founded for and by black people was established in 1986 as Blacks Educating Blacks About Sexual Health Issues. This group was formed in Philadelphia and was a hands-on street approach to offering information and protection. Across the country in California, the Black and White Men Together Coalition formed in San Francisco. It was led by black organizer Reggie Williams, who created a task force to address local AIDS concerns. And not too far away, Unity Fellowship Church created the Minority AIDS Project, MAP, in Los Angeles.
0: A government grant was secured in 1987 by the National Coalition of Black Lesbians and Gays. They hosted the first national conference for AIDS in the black community and saw an attendance of over 400 medical professionals and educators across the country. Leaders of the conference also managed a two-hour session with the Attorney General to discuss the specific needs in communities of color. Later that year in October, the American Public Health Association hosted its first panel discussion on AIDS. However, the black community was shut out, showing a deliberate ignorance to the crisis happening among people of color. Storming the stage in frustration, black activist and proud gay man Craig Harris grabbed the microphone and declared, I will be heard. He then addressed the crowd about the specific issues surrounding the AIDS epidemic and African Americans. This episode is sponsored by Ballsy.
1: Christians, we've got a deal for you today with over 200,000 satisfied customers. Ballsy is the unique, the gift of the year, of the decade. I'm going to go ahead and call it the gift of the decade for you and your partner for Valentine's
0: Day. Uh, What is it, Paul? It is a high-quality product free of parabens, sulfates, and synthetic dyes, all the things you don't want on your nuts. And it is (laughs) just what your partner is looking for, I promise. Coming from me... Just do it. That's
1: right. Nobody wants sweaty balls. And that's what Ballsy does. It makes sure that it keeps your balls nice and fresh. These are high
0: quality products with essential oils.
1: That's right. USA made as well. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got two sets that we're going to offer you with a promo code today. The first one is the I'm Nuts About You set. And what's that include?
0: This includes a ball wash, which is an activated charcoal wash. Packed with essential oils and plant extracts.
1: There's also the Nut Rub. That's a solid cologne that keeps your balls below and your body feeling fresh. There's six different fragrances. That's a lot of variety.
0: You can smell different every day if you want. Your nut sack never never had so many options. The Sack Spray for the -the on-the-go gym traveler. Throw this spray in your gym bag and every single time you're done working out, you can smell fresh like you never sweat. Ever.
1: That's right. It's perfect for before work. If you like to go to the gym early in the morning, you need to have the nut sack mm-hmm. in your sack. Now, the second gift set is the Incredible Balls Heart Box. That's got three Nut Rub Solid Colognes in there, and there's the limited edition Valentine's Day only Drift and Dune scent. That's again, only if you get the Incredible Balls Heart Box.
0: Um, and these sets retail for $45. However, we have a promo code for you if you go to ballwash.com and use the promo code LGBT20, that's going to save you 20% off of your purchase, which means you'll only pay $36 for these incredible gift sets.
1: That's right. Ballwash.com. Use the promo code LGBT20. Save yourself 20% today and give your partner a gift that they'll actually use and that you both will enjoy. As the HIV and AIDS crisis continued to build in America, another plague was running parallel to this issue, and that was the racist and classist war on drugs. While the two would seem disconnected, in reality, they were woven together, especially when they overlapped concerning communities of color. The most common way HIV is spread is through unprotected sex. The second most common way is through shared needles. Mix those two together with people high, having unprotected sex, and sharing needles, and we can imagine the results. Then place stigma, racism, and prejudice into the situation, and now the individual can't get the treatment or is never even offered the opportunity to receive treatment.
0: Studies have long showed that drugs are used at comparable rates across races. In fact, when it comes to heroin, white men use at a 40% higher rate than black men. Yet the war on drugs directly targeted black and brown communities. We know this for a fact by the vast increase in prison populations that disproportionately house people of color. In 2017, Pew Research reported that Black and Latino people comprised only 28% of the adult population in America, yet adult prisons were made up of 56% Black and Latino inmates, meaning that nearly two-thirds of our prison population is people of color when the majority of Americans are white. And what does this have to do with the AIDS crisis?
1: Well, it has a hell of a lot to do with the HIV AIDS epidemic. To say that racism isn't central to the staggering numbers around HIV in black communities is to say that the ocean isn't wet. One is directly responsible for the other. The war on drugs did not eliminate drugs. Instead, it forced drugs to go underground and allowed authorities to openly discriminate while claiming innocence from racism. There was also an often ignored form of racism called cognitive bias. Michelle Egg's Michelle Alexander discusses this concept in her highly acclaimed work, *The New Jim Crow*, which I believe should be essential reading. High schoolers, this is what they should be reading instead of fucking, Moby I don't Dick know, mice and men. In. Like, yeah. what?
0: Like, give a mouse a cookie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, why the fuck are are high schools, high schoolers, are wasting their time on things that don't matter and not reading these these essential types mm-hmm. of books? This is a bias with a uh, cognitive bias is a bias within a group of people which they may not want to have, yet this prejudice has been conditioned within them. People will often remember past events in a racist manner. For instance, in some studies, an individual will be shown a quick clip of a thief robbing a store. When asked to remember the thief, participants often remember a black man, even if the thief was white or the race of the person was hidden.
0: Yeah, because that's just, you're ingrained in society to think, as as white people, especially from the Midwest, when we were growing up, we were constantly surrounded by racism. And though we ourselves weren't racist, that constant surrounding of racism kind of left these feelings in us. Like you would just automatically think, oh, watch out for that person.
1: What? Well, it's, you, it is racist. We are racist. It's just like.
0: Right. That's what I mean, though. Like yeah. we didn't we didn't know that.
1: Right. Yeah. That's what that's what. Yeah. And the problem, because people don't admit that there's cognitive bias or that there are so many forms of racism because they don't admit that the racism continues because right. people are so afraid of being accused of being racist that they'd rather ignore the problems than address their own racism. Mm-hmm. Um, another study that was done that I didn't put in here is that the people were given they were at a shooting gallery and they were um they were supposed or maybe it was just a button they were supposed to push but anyways these hands flashed in front of them and some of them had like a bag in it and some of them might have a piece of papers and some of them had the gun Mm -hmm. and they had to shoot whatever hand had the gun but instead they only shot the hands that were black and brown yeah so exactly so like and, and so that again that proves a cognitive bias and we were talking about the way that um the aids epidemic um awareness was promoted you were talking about
0: that so um a couple of the resources I watched they just showed something that I kind of knew before but I didn't really understand so when the AIDS epidemic when the talk started happening you know when advertisements were being made when things were being promoted on how to stop AIDS how to prevent it all of the advertisements were white men and When you look at an advertisement, if it has a picture of somebody that looks like you, you automatically think, oh, this is something for me. I should pay Mm -hmm. attention to this. But if you never see something that has your face or that has something that looks like you on it, then you're not going to think, oh, hey, that's for me.
1: Right exactly and, um, and and then that's why we are seeing such staggering rates among black and brown communities because it was presented for a long time as a white male problem right, right? AIDS is a white gay male problem and that's who we have to address and if we're not addressing the white gay male population we're not going to stop AIDS and and um, and meanwhile, men, women of all races, all backgrounds, heterosexual, homosexual—they're all like the the—it's continuing to climb, mm-hmm. climb, and we see that. But we're still only addressing gay white males, right?
0: And um, one of the the things I watched said that there's a certain place in Mississippi. I'm pretty sure I could mm-hmm. be completely wrong about this, but I'm almost positive it was Mississippi that. As a young gay black man, you have a one in two chance of contracting AIDS. Wow. That's a 50% chance. Wow. And meanwhile, it said that like young white gay men was like one in 11. And that just shows how ignorant that everyone was in addressing this problem and actually working on ending the virus and not just pointing to one community and saying, oh, let's fix them. Right. And as we should know, racism, whether overt, subtle or cognitive, matters because prejudice against black and brown communities reduces funding, education, programming, medical treatment and more. In 1988, a law banned funding for needle exchange programs. Of course, people in more privileged areas could afford to buy new needles or to get a prescription from the doctor. But in poorer communities, a needle exchange was often the only way to access sterile needles. Because this funding was not only cut but forbidden, addicts lined up in the so-called shooting galleries to share needles, spreading the virus as they went.
1: Yeah, um, and it also goes into prejudice against addicts, right? Addicts mm-hmm. are dirty and, and, you know, We don't want the a needle hatred. exchange
0: program in here. We don't want to bring in those people from other communities. Exactly, exactly. That's a lot of what I people. hear. Yeah. We don't want that um, heroin treatment center here because that's going to bring in all the crazies. That's going to bring in all the drug addicts instead of saying, hey, let's fix our community and let's provide mm-hmm. these people the resources they need.
1: Right. But they'll sit in church every week and talk about how they love people, mm-hmm. whatever. And, the, and that law for, bun- so it wasn't that needle exchange programs were banned. It was just that if you had a needle exchange program in your, and you received any kind of federal bu- funding, your federal funding as a whole would get cut. Mm-hmm. So if you need it grants, then you can't have yeah. a needle exchange. Bye. Yeah, And because of 250 plus years of slavery and another 100 years of Jim Crow, many black communities have been deliberately pushed into poverty. So again, we know that more impoverished areas are where they're going to struggle the most to get needle exchange programs and education and resources. Federal regulations and restrictions had formerly made it impossible for most black and brown people to escape out of these conditions. With the Civil Rights Act of 1964, less than 20 years had passed when the AIDS outbreak began. Therefore, the racism and prejudice had hardly thawed, let alone allowed for enough funding and education to take place among marginalized communities to stem the spread of the epidemic. As a whole, almost no Americans had any knowledge of HIV and AIDS. White Americans were simply more privileged and therefore they were not as often exposed to virus. So it's not, obviously it's not that you're more likely to catch AIDS just because you're black. It's because you don't have the privilege to protect you from the virus. exactly,
0: Or the education or the knowledge or any of that. You just don't have it. And then
1: you can just play into the conspiracy theory that the government's just hoping that all the uh, marginalized people will die.
0: I mean... I mean, you're I'm not, not saying it's any, not true. <laughs> if you're not doing anything <laughs> to prevent it. You gotta wonder. So HIV was pitched by leaders as a gay cancer or a disease that only the filthy and the dirty contracted. The stigma and myths around who could and couldn't get the disease grew over time, which I also watched. There's another series on uh, YouTube called The Faces of HIV. Mm-hmm. And they had people like, you know, of all different backgrounds and everything. And a lot of them were married women. And they were like, I have this ring on my finger. I thought this protected me. Yeah. And No. Anybody can get it. It's a disease with no boundaries. Exactly. In October of 86, the CDC released a report that showed that 25% of cases for adults with HIV were black, 14% were Latino, and 58% of children diagnosed with the virus were black or brown. The statistics were presented as further prejudiced against minority groups. In reality, simply offering education on safe sex and free needle exchange programs would have greatly reduced the spread of the disease instead of fucking abstinence only, which is what I was taught. Exactly, right? But because it was still viewed as a gay disease or simply not a threat to white hetero-Americans, AIDS became the burden for marginalized communities to bear on their own.
1: Throughout the 90s, LGBTQ organizations partnered with many African and Latino American groups to spread awareness on HIV prevention. The diagnosis of HIV and the public announcement by world star Magic Johnson in 1991 pulled communities other than the LGBTQ into the spotlight. Studies found in 1993 that AIDS was the leading cause of death among young black men. Then, a decade after the ban on the needle exchange began in 1998, Clinton refused to rescind the order. This move proved crucially devastating to black communities. In 2003, half of the black women with HIV had received it through drug use or through having sex with someone who had used drugs. And in in 2004, AIDS had become the leading cause of death among young black women and the second leading cause of death among middle-aged black women. Again, heterosexual women dying because um, nobody's paying attention.
0: The year 1999, B.A.I., the Black AIDS Institute, was founded and became the first organization focused exclusively on reducing HIV and AIDS among black people. It was this same year that the National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day was founded. Yet even with the amazing progress we have had in combating the AIDS epidemic, black communities are still greatly suffering. Between 2010 and 2016, there was a significant decrease in HIV diagnosis among most sections of the black community. However, there had been a 40% increase among black, gay, and bisexual men between the ages of 25 to 24, and as of a 2017 report, African Americans account for 43% of all new HIV diagnosis despite making up only 13% of the population, which can only mean that our federal and state institutes and organizations are continuing to devastatingly fail black communities."
1: Exactly. Doesn't make sense. The statistics should match, but they don't. Not at all. Right. So simple programs could be set in place to educate marginalized groups. Free needle exchanges, better sex ed in schools, free condom and lube distribution, free free HIV testing on a monthly basis, and access to PrEP and PEP medications would all benefit any community, but especially those less privileged. However, the first step is ending the stigma and understanding HIV and AIDS. So allow us to give you a one-on-one on on the topic. First, what is the difference between HIV and AIDS?
0: HIV stands for human immunodeficiency virus and it enters the body through the bloodstream or mucous membranes. Once inside, the virus attaches itself to the CD4 cells in our immune system. These are our defense cells. HIV infects and turns them into disease carriers rather than immune defense. This slowly drains the body's ability to fight off other outside infection. If not treated, in time, the body becomes too weak and will succumb to illness and disease. Treatment today can keep HIV at bay for decades, and most HIV individuals live a relatively normal life. However, the disease is not currently curable and eventually will progress.
1: The progression of the HIV virus varies from person to person, and also factors in an individual's treatment and health prior to and after infection. Upon initial contact, the individual who is infected will experience flu-like symptoms. A rash, fever, headache, muscle cramps, sore throat, and and swollen lymph nodes are the most common reactions. Sometimes they are severe enough that the person will go to the doctor other times the symptoms are mild and cause little concern and of course we must address the fact that many people cannot afford the copays or have no insurance and therefore will avoid the doctor so It's not like you just suddenly know. You could just feel like you have a bad cold and there's no idea, and so you just go about your day, and then you don't feel any symptoms again for a decade.
0: Right, and there you go. That goes back to showing how broken the American healthcare system is because these people could potentially be Hurting themselves for the rest of their life Because they're like I can't go to the doctor Yeah And it's because If they go to the doctor Because they think they just have a cold Mm -hmm. They're gonna be charged Fucking two thousand dollars
1: Exactly like yeah Isn't that a big fear What if I go to the doctor And it's just a cold Mm -hmm. And I can then you know Now I
0: owe two hundred dollars For this doctor visit Exactly The next stage is Asymptomatic During this time, the infected individual could go 10 to 15 years without ever showing signs of the disease. If they did not go to the doctor upon their initial infection, and if they have not had an HIV test since, they could have no clue that they are carrying the disease.
1: And they're still spreading it during this time, Mm -hmm. so you can still spread it.
0: This points to the importance of protection and regular checkups, which we will address in a few moments. However, if a person is checked and catches the disease at this stage, then their chances of surviving dramatically increase. As we said, eventually the disease will play a part in the individual's death. But as we can see from survivors such as Magic Johnson, who, have been, who has been diagnosed for nearly 30 years, individuals could live most of their lives in a fairly normal routine. Unfortunately, the average cost of lifetime medication for an individual is just under $380,000.
1: Just to stay alive. And yep. this is this is not the advanced stages. We're not in an AIDS stage. This is just so you can take your... Daily mm-hmm. medications,
0: but uh, but we don't need Medicare for all or anything, right? No, absolutely not. We, we don't need that.
1: Well, of course, we'll, but then that would mean we would have to care for the marginalized communities. We'd have to care for the LGBTQ people and Latino people. How, how are we going to
0: afford and, that? Uh, how are we going to afford? Can't that? afford it. Can't nope. do it. Not you if we're going to get these tax afford. cuts to
1: anim- Amazon. We can't get right? the tax cuts to anim- Amazon. And we have
0: to inv- invest in two trillion dollars in military investments. Because well, absolutely. Are you kidding me?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the the big problem. That's the big issue. Um. There was something about that <clears throat> um Oh, I can't remember. Something about the the, the medication. Oh, because I, I didn't put, put it in the script because we're also going to talk about this again during the AIDS epidemic, but it's called antiretroviral medication, and it's a pack of medications that you have to take every single uh, day. And so it's a, it's a combination of different drugs, kind of like a drug cocktail that a person takes, mm-hmm. and that's what costs them money. And I think they, they said it's about $20,000 a year. So it's $20,000 mm-hmm. a year, 380000 in your lifetime. This... The third stage of HIV is symptomatic. This is the point in which the disease typically begins to progress more rapidly, though it can still be slowed down. In this stage, the individual begins to feel the effects of the disease. The former flu-like symptoms return, along with diarrhea, weight loss, yeast infections, and shingles. CD4 cells are rapidly dying off and typically reach below 350 at this point. The average person has 500 to 1,500 CD4 cells. Treatment is increased and thus becomes even more costly. However, it is essential to, however, it is essential to trying to fight the disease having treatment. Once HIV progresses to AIDS, there is typically little time left, and that brings us to the final stage, acquired immune deficiency syndrome.
0: Once a person is diagnosed with AIDS, they usually have six months to three years to live. At this point, treatment can still continue, but is simply staving off the inevitable. There are many AIDS centers around the world and across the country which house pe- people terminally diagnosed. These homes simply make the individual as comfortable as possible, providing treatment, pain relievers, entertainment, and comfort in their final days. Last year, 770,000 people around the world died of the dreaded disease. As devastating as this is, we have seen continued progress in viral suppression in the last 30 years. Viral Viral suppression is the term used for eliminating the spread of HIV and AIDS throughout treatment and early testing.
1: But the epidemic persists men who have sex with men are 22 times more likely to acquire hiv the same statistic goes for people who inject drugs sex workers are 21 more times at risk and transgender people are 12 times at risk of hiv infection as we've discussed countless times on this podcast all of these statistics are central to the queer community lgbtq people suffer higher risks of substance abuse problems due to social and cultural rejection The inability to obtain fair and equal employment often drives queer people to sex work, especially transgender women who may feel that they have no other option. And we do not disparage sex work. It is an honest way for an individual to make a living if they so choose. But it can be dangerous and many people do not feel they have actually and many people do not feel they actually have a choice in the matter.
0: And of course, the intersectional identities of black and brown queer people stack the odds even higher against them. The government turns its back on marginalized people, allows them to wallow in poverty and oppression, and then has the audacity to be alarmed when these communities suffer. But if our so-called leaders won't help us, then won't help us, then we must continue to help ourselves. And how do we do this? We must end the stigma and the irrational fear and myths around HIV and AIDS. As we stated, HIV is transferred through the bloodstream or mucous membranes, which means you can't get the virus from touching an HIV positive person or their belongings.
1: Yeah, big thing. So this whole thing where, like, you don't want to sit on a toilet seat that someone who has uh, HIV or anything like that. You, your water fountains, you can't get it through that. Um, you also can't get the virus from saliva unless the saliva has blood in it. So don't make out with someone who has bleeding gums. In fact, in the 74 million plus cases of HIV reported since the epidemic began, only one woman ever reported getting HIV from kissing her partner. And coincidentally, she also admitted to having unprotected sex with her HIV positive partner and having sex after the condom broke. So I don't know why they even put that in there. I guess they had to for the study, but it was really annoying. So it is virtually impossible to acquire the virus through non-sexual intimacy. And many couples where one partner is HIV positive continue to have normal, healthy, protected sex
0: lives. And that's our second point and hopefully the heteros and the people in opposite sex relationships are paying attention. Use protection. It's not all about pregnancy. STDs and STIs are just as much a factor when it comes to safe sex. Please bring condoms with you wherever you go and make sure you use silicone lube to reduce friction and to make sure the protection of the condoms is not is not worn off by oil or water-based lubricant. Another protection is the prep pill. This pill must be taken every day, but by doing so, a person decreases their risk by 90%. Again, this is especially ideal for couples where one partner is infected and the other is not. Most medical insurance is Prep, and the manufacturer, Gilead, is that? Yep. You know that's... No,
1: I know. uh, Well, I don't know why Gilead did that. I don't know. Maybe it was... Like as a fuck you to The Handmaid's Tale, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I
0: was like, wait, what? Sorry. So the manufacturer Gilead offers assistance program and even free medication in some situations. We've included a link in our script online if you would like to apply. Um, Also, um, in the documentaries I watched, Mm -hmm. a lot of the people who are infected said, yeah, I usually use protection. Like maybe one out of every four encounters, I would just not use a condom. Mm-hmm. and it's just that one time all it takes is one time
1: exactly you got to use you, can, you just can't you can't risk it you know uh, it, there is no, no reason to like mm-hmm. taking an extra 10 minutes out of your way to make sure you grab a pack of condoms is a lot better than having to take medication for the rest of your life mm-hmm. right also if you're uh, also if you are sexually active then it is advisable to be tested every 3 to 6 months i cannot stress this enough if you are sleeping with multiple people. If you've been in a long-term relationship, then it's not as necessary, although I would still take advantage of most of the free testing that you can get at, like, clinics and doctor's offices. But if you are having sex with people and you're not in a solid, monogamous relationship, you need to get tested every three to six mm-hmm. months. And you need to get tested every three to six months because the virus typically takes a couple months, up to three months, to show up. And and a lot of times it can, it can even... You, they can even be missed in early testing and it might not show up for six months so you've got to be tested regular mm. many large cities host free hiv testing a couple times a year at various facilities we'll mention it later but there's a link where you can look up what's near you and some lgbtq organizations now have free testing year-round in addition most pharmacies such as walgreens and cvs now s- sell over-the-counter hiv testing pods these are gum swabs that give you a result within 20 minutes. Have you ever done this?
0: I have. Yeah. And that was the most dreaded 20 minutes of my life. My heart <laughs> felt like it was coming out of my ass for 20 minutes just yeah. sitting there waiting for it. And everything came back fine, but still, I understand that it's scary. Yeah. But you have to do it.
1: Yeah. I did it. I did it this week cuz they offered free at my mm-hmm. clinic. I wasn't that scared, but... It's, I, but, it's just good to get know.
0: tested. Why not?
1: Why not? Exactly. When they're like, we, we get free testing once a year. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it's real simple. Like they said, you just swab your gums and you sit there and you wait. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so easy. And like I said, you can buy it at CVS if you don't want to mm-hmm. go into a clinic. However, if you are certain that you have been exposed to the disease, if someone tells you, if you find out that a person you slept with, regardless of whether you use protection or not, you need to get tested. Oh,
0: absolutely. Because condoms are not 100% Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. Yeah. They definitely are probably, they're probably like, I don't know, really high up there. But if somebody you've had sexual contact with in any way, just, just get tested. Exactly.
1: And then, and when you get tested by your doctor, it will be a blood test and that's going to be a lot more. So the Mm -hmm. gum test just gives them an idea if they have something to be concerned about. Typically the virus will not show up for a few weeks or months, which is why you should follow up with an initial exam every three months for a year after being exposed to HIV. So if you were exposed every three months, you have to follow up. An individual who has been positively exposed to HIV can also use the antiretroviral medicines PrEP, or PEP, sorry, P-E-P. So PrEP is what you take pre, before sex. Mm -hmm. PEP is what you take after. This is a combination of meds that reduce the chance of infection taking hold and must be started within 72 hours of exposure. The sooner, the better, every hour counts. And like I said, this is a couple medications antiretroviral antiretroviral mm-hmm. but if you start that within 72% it 72 hours it really reduces your chance of being infected.
0: And as we've stated, sex isn't the only way that HIV is transmitted though it is the most common. Needle sharing is the second biggest cause of the spread of the virus. 33 states have implemented needle exchange programs. Simply by allowing people access to sterile needles will aid in decrease in decreasing the epidemic it is important we continue to lobby for federal funding and national nationwide acceptance of these programs it is also important to continue to oppose the racist war on drugs until these issues are repealed or put to rest state and local funding and awareness is essential we included more information about this in our links to, in our link to the american addiction centers on our published script which you can find at yourqueerstory.com
1: yeah so and honestly, like we said, we publish our scripts because you can also use this as information. So if you need a tool and teaching, you can go there and you can get our script. Mm-hmm.
0: Or if you're writing a paper or anything,
1: yep, all free. A final important factor is the spread of a-, a final important factor in the spread of HIV is through pregnancy and breastfeeding. So a mother who is HIV positive should talk to her doctor and should avoid breastfeeding. Treatment during pregnancy can greatly reduce the risk of infecting her baby, and doctors can begin to test for signs early on. By educating people on the importance of safe sex and their resources to prevent HIV, by implementing needle exchange programs, and by informing mothers of the risk of the spread of HIV through breast milk, we can greatly stem the epidemic of AIDS and HIV. And we can especially help marginalized communities which have had most of these resources kept from them.
0: Finally, by standing up to misinformation and fear, we can end the stigma around HIV. We can take inspiration from a prominent figure in the fight, Magic Johnson himself, who stated upon announcing his diagnosis, I will now become a spokesman for the HIV virus because I want people, young people, to realize they can practice safe sex. Sometimes you're a little naive about it and you think it could never happen to you. You only thought it could happen to other people, but it has happened.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that everybody goes around, it wouldn't happen to me.
0: It's that thing, you never think anything bad's gonna happen to you ever because (laughs) why would it happen to you? Right, It's only a 1% chance of it happening to you, guess what? It fucking happens. Yeah,
1: it fucking happens. And Johnson, like so many others, could have walked away and silently treated his disease. But instead, he decided to face the backlash and cruelty and end the stigma. And think of all the jokes that have been Mm -hmm. made about Magic Johnson in the last 30 years. But he consistently continues to advocate for others. He has the money and resources to take care of himself. He could have said, fuck that, like most, a lot of Mm -hmm. Hollywood stars did. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. Uh, we are responsible for helping our siblings in need, whether we are directly affected by the disease or not. By lifting each other up, we can end this epidemic. And your recommended resources are the Black AIDS Institute, that is linked on our site, and the org aidsvu.org which provides a map where you can get tested that's aidsvu.org again all these links are on our website and there's a ton of links in our resources that i would definitely check um, suggest you check out those two youtube documentaries that paul talked about are in there Um, a lot of information is there so uh, make sure you go and you check that out
0: So stay queer.
1: Don't get a lobotomy.
0: We love you, our little allied hookers. And
1: a little succulent sapphists.
0: Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats.
1: Have yourself a proud, um, wet, safe, sodomy circus. Practice safe sex always in everything you do. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story.
0: Like what you heard. Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory.
1: And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory.
0: See you next week. Bye. Bye.